Good morning. The first reading will be from Luke chapter 6 from verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep down and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but would not shake it because it was built well. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment that torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Our second reading is from Isaiah chapter 25 from verse 1. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the forfeited town a ruin, the foreigners' stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For their breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall, and like, a, like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On the mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever, The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Thanks, Kayla. Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If um, we haven't met before, one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Mowbray. Hope you're having a good start to, to 2024. Um, you've probably heard people talk about being on the wrong side of history. Um, it's a way of saying that someone's beliefs or, or their opinions are outdated, um, that, that people will look back and, and think that they were wrong. Um, and I reckon there's something in that. Like, I'm glad I live in a, in a time and a place where slavery is abolished, uh, where women can vote, and and where a whole lot of other positive progress has been made. Um, But this idea of the wrong side of history, it comes from a very human-centered perspective of history. Um, The assumption is that that history is going where humans take it, uh, for better or worse, and that as we we take history forwards to, to better and better places, will be more enlightened uh, to be able to look back and, and critique what people believed in previous generations. But Isaiah gives us a very different picture in the passage that we've just read, um, which is that humans are not in the driver's seat of history. God is, always has been, always will be. He's taking history to a very definite place. And as we see where history is going, it ought to shape the way that we live in it right now. Because in a very real sense, we can be on the right 
or the wrong side of history. And Isaiah is telling us there's a day coming when it's going to be very evident which side we're on. The chapters 24 to 27 of Isaiah, which we're, we're covering this morning, it's, it's a message of judgment, salvation, and worship. Those are the, the things we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, so firstly, judgment. As I just try and turn my clicker on. There we go. Um, so last week, we covered chapters 13 to 23 of Isaiah, 11 chapters. Good work, everyone, for getting through it. Um, and that was about how God would bring judgment, not just against Israel, his people, who he's, who he's writing to, but, but against a whole lot of the other nearby nations at that time. There's a, there's a very specific message um, for each particular nation. And, and the point is, why would God's people fear the nations around them or, or trust, put their trust in the nations around them when, when God is the one who's in control? God is far more powerful. I mean, in these following chapters that we're looking at this morning, we, we see God broaden his gaze and, and declare his judgment against the whole world. Uh, so 24 verse 1. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. Um, a day is coming, Isaiah says, when the wine is going to run out. The music is going to stop. The joy is going to turn to gloom. And in that day, the Lord will punish powers in the heavens above and kings on the earth below. They'll be herded together into a dungeon, shut up and punished. Um, this, this terrible day that, that God is bringing about, it's, it's described as being like a, a flood, a drought, a fire and an earthquake all, all rolled into one, like, like climate change on, on steroids. Um, there's this, this repeated image of, of a city being, being destroyed. The, the ruined city lies, lies desolate, Isaiah says. The, the city is left in ruins. The city is a heap of rubble. It will never be rebuilt again. Uh, the fortified city stands desolate. Uh, it's going to be an awful day of terror and destruction. But why? Why this devastating day of judgment? against all the world. Well, Isaiah tells us, the earth is defiled by its people. They've disobeyed God's laws, violated his statutes, broken his covenant. And so the people must bear their guilt. And Isaiah is saying, this, this destruction is coming because people are guilty. People have been created to, to love God to worship him, to, to be in relationship with him, to center our lives on him. But we haven't done that. People have disobeyed God. Uh, and so there, there's a guilt that humanity must bear. There's, there's a judgment that humanity must endure. And God is going to judge all of the evil and, and all of the injustice that humans have done. He, he Isaiah says here, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the bloodshed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. Nothing will escape God's justice. All injustice will be dealt with. But even more than that, God is going to bring judgment against human pride. God is going to, to bring down people's pride. He's going to bring down the high fortified walls and lay them low. 
And we're told he, he humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. Because at the end of the day, it's pride that leads people to reject God. It's the pride of putting ourselves where only God ought to be. Living for ourselves instead of for God. Trusting ourselves instead of God. And so a day is coming when when everything and everyone that proudly stands against God is going to come under his disastrous and final judgment. And yet there's hope. There's hope because Isaiah tells us that this awful day of judgment will also be a day of salvation. Even as um, destruction comes, we're told that a few people are going to be left. Um, Isaiah describes this day of judgment as being a bit like when an, when an olive tree is beaten at harvest time. Now, I, I don't know a lot about olive gardening, but I gather that the olive trees sort of grow, they get big juicy olives on there, and then instead of picking each individual olive off the tree, which would take quite a while, you just beat the whole tree until the, until the ripe olives come off. And most of the olives fall off, but a, but a few olives are left on that tree. And that's an illustration here for the, the tiny remnant of faithful people who are going to be spared God's judgment when it comes. God says to these people, go, my people, enter your rooms, shut the doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. And Isaiah describes for us what the future looks like for these faithful people who survive God's judgment. Uh, He uses... the the imagery of a city, a vineyard, and a mountain to describe it. Uh, So we've just seen he's likened the destruction of the world to a a corrupt, proud, sinful city that's been destroyed. Um, But then he tells us of another city, a city that will stand forever. In that day, that coming day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah, We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. So a city that will stand. Uh, If you joined us for our previous series in Isaiah, which which was early last year, we we heard in chapter 5, God described his unfaithful people as being a bit like a bad vineyard. So so God says, I've I've planted this vineyard, I've fertilized it, I've done everything to make it grow, but, but no grapes have grown on it. And so eventually God says, I'm going to cut the vineyard down. I'm going to destroy it. Uh, But in chapter 27 here, it's a very different picture. And we're told about a fruitful vineyard, one that God watches over. He waters it. He guards it day and night so that no one can harm it. In fact, the vineyard is so fruitful that it it grows and and it fills the whole world with its fruit. God is creating a new city. He's creating a new vineyard. And he's calling people to come to his mountain. Uh, chapter 25, um, he, he says, sorry, I've got the verse wrong there, but trust me, it's chapter 25. He says to them, 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. This is what God's calling his people to be part of. A life that is rich. Uh, Jesus often tells parables where heaven is described as being a bit like a, a, bit like a big banquet with the, the very best food and the very best wine. This is the salvation that God promises. And we can share in it because of the gospel. Uh, so in the New, New Testament, Paul picks up on a bit of the imagery here and he, and, he, and he writes to us that God has saved us and he's called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his purpose, his grace. This grace has been given to us in Jesus before the beginning of time. And it's now being revealed to us through the appearing of Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, so we're seeing here, death is destroyed. True life has been revealed. And it's not because we've been really good or really clever and, and, and we've earned it ourselves. That's because of the gospel. And the gospel is all about what Jesus has done for us. Humanity is guilty of disobeying God. And, and we all have that guilt to bear. And Jesus came to bear that guilt himself by his death on the cross on behalf of humanity to save us from God's judgment. And he died for us and he was raised back to life. Again, showing us that death is beaten. A day is coming, as Isaiah promises, when, when death will be swallowed up forever. And what that means is there's only one way to be spared on this terrible day of destruction that God is bringing. There's only one way to true life. And that's to accept Jesus' offer of salvation. It's to trust that Jesus has taken my punishment. It's to make Jesus my king. It's the, the only way to escape God's anger is to build my life on the sure hope that Jesus endured that anger for me. And that he's alive on the other side of it. So this day of judgment will be a day of wonderful salvation for all who are in Jesus. And it will be a day of unending worship. Uh, so in the, in the midst of the, the awful imagery that we get in these chapters of, of judgment, Isaiah gives us this beautiful picture of God's people worshipping him forever. Uh, a day is coming when the the brightness of the moon and the brightness of the sun even are just going to seem like nothing compared with the stunning glory of God. And in that day, God's people will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. 
everything will be worth it. We'll see and we'll know that God was always worthy of our trust and that his salvation is better than we could ever imagine. Isaiah finishes off chapter 27 with this picture of God gathering up his people one by one from all over the land, like a, like a farmer gathering up crops. Everyone who's trusted in him, they'll, they'll come together and worship him forever. We've got a holy mountain, a new and glorious city, a new and fruitful vineyard. This is where history is heading. And it drives Isaiah to, to wait on God in, in longing and obedient worship. He says, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. It drives Isaiah to, to long for that day when, when death will be swallowed up forever. When everyone who, who has died trusting in Jesus will rise again. So judgment, salvation, and worship. This is where God is taking history. It doesn't always feel like it, though, does it? Uh, we live in a world where, where evil so often seems to win. Um, a world where death is very real. And where, for better or for worse, humans do seem to be the ones who are driving history forwards. A world where God can seem absent. And yet this is where it's all heading. Judgment, salvation, and worship. And if that's the case, the question is, are you on the right side of history? Are you on the right side of history? Are you confident about what that last day is going to look like for you? Jesus tells a, a punchy little story to to ask this same question. We, we heard about it in our first Bible reading and Sally brought it to us in the all-ages spot as well. Um, two houses, one big flood. One of the houses stands, the other house collapses. And Jesus isn't talking about how we, how we cope with the floods of everyday life, those challenges that we face each day. The flood that Jesus is ultimately talking about is... That last day, God's judgment. Who's going to stand on that day? Well, it's going to be the person who builds their life on Jesus' words. The person who believes that Jesus died and rose for them. The, the person who commits to making Jesus the king of their lives. Is that you? Maybe it isn't you, or maybe you're not quite sure. You're working out whether that's you or not. Um, if that's the case, great that you're here this morning. Um, you might have wished that you'd picked a week with a slightly more cheery Bible passage, but, but I hope you can see how serious the Bible is about where history is heading. About why it's so important how we respond to God, how we respond to Jesus and 
the gospel message of his death and his resurrection. Um, we'd love you to, to keep coming along with us. Join us each Sunday and keep exploring why Jesus is worth believing in. Um, even if you do follow Jesus, even if you do believe that this day of judgment and, and salvation and worship is coming, it can still be challenging, can't it, to, to see history as it really is. Um, we can believe it, but then in lots of ways, we can, we can functionally live our lives as though we don't believe it. But as we, as we keep Isaiah 24 to 27 in mind, and as we keep this coming day in our sights, heading into 2024, there are three ways that I think it can really shape the way that we live. It's going to bring encouragement, longing, and urgency. Encouragement, longing, and urgency. So firstly, encouragement. There are times when living for Jesus can be really discouraging. Perhaps when, when other people make it hard for us, whether that's through hostility or just, just teasing. Uh, there are times when other Christians let us down one way or another. There are times when we let ourselves down. We're, we're trying to live out our faith well and we just let ourselves down with the way that we, that with the way that we live. Or sometimes it can feel like God's let us down. Those prayers that just seem to go unanswered day after day, week after week, year after year. Those hard life circumstances that we might be facing. When we zoom out, we can know that whatever's happened today, whatever's happening this year, we're on the right side of history. God is taking the world somewhere. He's taking history somewhere. And we're included in it. I think sometimes when we, when we come to church on a Sunday, when we open up our Bible during the week, it, it can kind of feel like we're having a brief escape from reality. We're, it's like we're sucking in a deep breath of, of time with God and, and uplifting time before we go back to the, to the real world. The truth is that when we worship God, we're not, we're not escaping reality. We're returning to it. We're, we're aligning ourselves with how the world really works, where God is really taking things. And so we can be encouraged. Um, secondly, longing. See, right now, evil is very real. Death is very real. Our, our own guilt and shame is very real. Um, in the last week, I've um, been to the funeral of, of someone, a much-loved member of our church here who, who died of cancer recently. I, um, I heard of someone else who, who's died of cancer in the last week who's much-loved by many people in this church as well. And I really look forward to the day where I don't get texts and phone calls about that sort of news anymore. And the wonderful news is a day is coming when all these things will be gone. And that's a day that's really worth longing for. A day when we'll be able to say with all sincerity, this is our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. So encouragement, longing, and urgency. People around us are heading for judgment. 
people we love are living in that doomed city that Isaiah tells us about, living as enemies of God, uh, not knowing, not believing, perhaps not even caring that they need Jesus to be saved. That God is a merciful God who calls people to turn to him and be saved before it's too late. I'll be honest, I, I really struggle with a bit of disconnect on this one. See, I know that everyone who doesn't follow Jesus as their saviour and their king will face God's judgment. I, I know and believe that to be true. But at the same time, there are lots of people I love who don't follow Jesus. Uh, really kind, decent people who I like. And I really struggle to consciously realise in that moment that, that they're on the path to destruction. Um, that they're caught up in humanity's proud rebellion against God. Uh, and that the only reason I'm not on that same path isn't, it's not that I'm a better person than they are, it's because of God's mercy in Jesus. And so it's a challenge for us to see that family member, that friend, that likable workmate or, or neighbour, as someone who is proudly defying God, someone in desperate danger of his wrath, someone who needs to respond to Jesus and be saved. Something I'm making an effort to, to pray about more and more this year, and, and maybe you'd like to join me in, in praying for this, is that my perspective of the world around me and the people around me would be shaped by the reality of heaven and hell. Uh, that as I grasp how awesome heaven is going to be and how awful hell is going to be, uh, that it would grow in my heart and, and grow in all of our hearts, uh, a passion to, to say and do whatever we can to see people escape God's judgment and be part of his salvation. And one day worship him forever. Let's pray. Our sovereign and mighty God, you are the Lord of history. And we, we ask that you would help us to understand and to live in light of that coming day when your decisive judgment and your wonderful salvation will be fully revealed. Help us to await that day when we will see you in all your glory and worship you forever in your indestructible new city. We ask that you'd fill us by your spirit with encouragement, with longing, and with urgency as that day approaches. Amen.